Hi everyone, this is Rimas Koukenas, and you guys are listening to Left Coast Pirates, the best show in the world. <laughs> seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around and in. And a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pow! From Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes! From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California, he is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997. And we are Left Coast Pirates. He covers sports, including the Marquette Golden Eagles men's basketball team for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Please welcome back to Left Coast Pirates Live, Ben Steele. Ben, how are you this evening? Good, man. I must have done something right. You guys invited me back. <laughs> as, as Tom said, you brought the download. You're always <laughs> welcome back. All right. Well, once again, thank you, though, wholeheartedly. Thank you for joining the show. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, no problem, man. Always always good to talk with you guys. All right. So uh, before we get into the whole podcast and talk basketball, we just got to kind of do our due diligence right now. We start off every podcast checking in with our guests and asking them how they're doing relative to COVID-19, their family, friends, and everything else around their immediate environment. Yeah, I'm good, man. My family's good. So blessed that way. Uh, hope you guys are the same way. Uh, yeah, it's just just like everybody else, man, taking it day by day, um, covering a basketball team from my, my beautiful basement here. Not the ideal way to do it, but, you know, there's there's worse things to happen uh, out there in the world. So we're just uh, we're just getting through it, man. It's okay, Ben. Your your basement's looking a hell of a lot better than my garage. You're doing you're doing, you're doing good for yourself over there. <laughs> Mike's got little ones. He locks himself in the garage to stay away from them. My, mine are older. They can't do anything with me. So, <laughs> all right. So we brought you on the show, Ben, as you know, to kind of break down the upcoming matchup of Seton Hall versus Marquette. But before we go down that path, I want to rewind for a moment. I want to go back to the last time that we had you on the show. It was prior to the second matchup between these two teams at Marquette in which Howard and Powell went toe-to-toe, scoring 37 and 28, respectively. They were slated to go head-to-head one more final time in the first round of the Big East tournament mm-hmm. before everything, unfortunately, came to a halt. Yeah. How disappointing was it for Marquette fans uh, to not see Marcus Howard end his career one more time in the NCAA tournament? Yeah, it was unfortunate. You know, Marcus never never won an NCAA game in his in his four years at Marquette, that was his last chance. You know, for all his individual accolades, you know, led the nation in scoring last year, was Big East Player of the Year his junior season. Just never played in the NCAA tournament twice. They lost in the first round both times. They were scheduled to go in the tournament, you know, slated to be in the tournament. Um, I know Marquette ended the season on a down note, but, you know, NCAA tournament, you always got a shot. That's why everyone loves the NCAA tournament, so... Just seeing him, you know, Marcus, was, is, as you guys know, is the kind of guy that c- can go off for 40 any game. So just getting in the tournament would have been would have been fun to watch him try to 
tried to do that in his, you know, his last go round is kind of disappointing, you know, like, like for every other senior that, that played last season. Oh, without a doubt, seeing Hall fans and including myself and Tom, we're still kind of just, you know, a little disappointed. The, the whole what if theory of how that season would have played out. And it just feels like the whole what if theory is carrying forward. I want to mm. go down this memory lane and could, we had Miles Powell graduate. And for Seton Hall fans, it was like, where does he fit on the Mount Rushmore of Seton Hall greats? You know, Marcus finishes at the top of a lot of scoring lists and a lot of accolades that he earned throughout his career. And he's going to go down as one of the greatest players in Marquette program history. But next to some other guys along the lines of the likes of Dwayne Wade, Jimmy Butler, guys that had NBA stardom, where does Marcus rank in the overall outlook of uh, Golden Eagle basketball? Well, I think you probably got to put him in the top 10 just just because his numbers are just too astronomical just to – it's got to put him up there with anybody. But like I mentioned, the lack of NCAA tournament success, like Dwayne Wade got to the Final Four in 2003. Butch Lee led the team to a national championship in 1977. There was all those great, great players in the 70s. Steve Novak was on the Final Four team. Travis Diener was on that Final Four team. I mean – that NCAA tournament success that just gives you that edge that that puts you at the top. So, I don't think Marcus quite cracks that list, but yeah, he was fun to watch. And you know, when he got going, there was nothing like it, and gave gave Marquette fans a lot of memories uh, with those scoring outbursts. So, he'll be well remembered. Just that that lack of NCAA tournament success just kind of keeps him from being one of the all timers, one of the all time greats. Wow, Steve Novak sighting here on the podcast. That's amazing. <laughs> but, you know, from a national standpoint, Marcus Howard had all this praise and all these accolades given to him, and deservedly so. He was an exciting player. The storyline coming into this season has got to be about how are they going to replace the man that they relied so heavily on in the last four years. Yeah. And with three new faces to the rotation, this couldn't be an easy task. Marquette started this year on a preseason uh, ranked 34th in the Ken Palm and actually was picked sixth in the preseason coaches poll, which seems a little off. What do you think were the fair expectations to start this season for the Golden Eagles? Yeah, it's, this is a completely different Marquette team than what you've watched the last couple of years. I was expecting, I didn't, I didn't really, honestly, I had no idea what to expect from this Marquette team with so many new pieces and, you know, the lack of practice time in the summer with COVID and, and Marquette missed two weeks because of positive coronavirus tests right before the season started. So they missed some crucial practice time there. So I, I really had no idea what to expect. I thought middle of the pack in the Big East was probably about right, fifth or sixth. Like the coaches, I think, probably agreed with me on that. But through the first couple games here, man, this is like, uh, this is, a much better team than I anticipated. Defensively, this is the best team that Marquette has since I've been covering the team for four years, probably in the Steve Wojciechowski era. He's in his seventh season as a coach. Um, really relying on their defense and rebounding this year, which you couldn't have said about Marquette teams in recent years. Um, and the offense, you know, with so many new pieces, I knew that would kind of take a while for that to come along but it's, it's starting to starting to get there and you know they beat two top 10 teams in the last 10 days so something's working and the pieces the freshmen kind of finding their way and and dj carden who transferred from ohio state he seems much more comfortable he's led the team in scoring the last two games um yeah it, it just seems to be seems to be working right now and 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 there's still a lot of room i think for this, this team to get better too 
Well, you bring up Wojo, and Wojo's one of these guys that I just love to hate. He's like those old-fashioned Big East coaches <laughs> where if he was across the way, you know you could scream at him and hate him. No, uh, you 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 hate him because he was on Duke and he no, was slapping the No, I'm not floor, a Duke hater, bro. Slap the, like, slapping no, to the floor. Come on. Let, reeling it back. <laughs> but, you know, he would be the kind of coach that would drive me crazy if he coached Seton Hall. He seems to get players to commit to Marquette every year. I mean, we can go up and down. I think the worst amount of top 100 players he's had on his team was last year with only three. However, it doesn't seem like the results always match what the recruiting gives you. Like you mentioned, two NCAA appearances in his time there, no wins, no Big East titles, no Big East tournament. So... I'm going to ask you, what kind of standard do the Marquette fans hold Wojo to? Are they excited that he wins all these games? Because he's averaging about 19 wins a season, but that postseason success just seems to escape him. Yeah, it's a it's a fair question to ask. And I think if you ask most Marquette fans, I think the jury is still out just because of the, that lack of NCAA tournament success that, that we've talked about several times now. It's just it's a glaring red flag on his resume. This is his seventh year, like I mentioned, and, you know, you got to take out last year because you, you don't know what could have happened. But he would have led the team to three out of four NCAA tournaments, you know, three of the last four. So, you know, that's good. But, you know, the two games that he was in, they also got blown out in both those games by South Carolina and Murray State. So that's bad. You know, he gets good recruits. Um, recruiting classes keep seeming to be getting better. Um, so that's good. There's – hasn't been any whiff of any off-court stuff during his entire tenure so you know that's good so you kind of got kind of weigh both the good and the bad and it's just kind of you know just kind of okay everything's just kind of okay and I think Marquette fans are just waiting to just to kind of get over the hump you know I, I I totally feel you I totally feel you Kevin had his ramp up period his first five or six seasons yeah. once he got him over the hump everyone's like wow we're here now and you got that fan base that is starving now to go back deep into the NCAA tournament like they did with the early 90s team mm. and maybe make a magical run again someday. So Yeah, we, I think it's pretty similar situations. Yeah, because... You guys got a national title. We don't have no national title. <laughs> All right, so we don't know who's going to win a national title this year, even, even if we're going to get to that stage of playing because we talked about it earlier, the pandemic is widespread across the mm -hmm. sport. And so many programs have been kind of faced with the challenges this year. Marquette already being one of those that had to face a COVID-19 pause early in the season, but they were fortunate enough to get that experience prior to the November 25th start date. How much did that really impact this Young's team to gel, develop together on the court, not having that practice time? Yeah, like I mentioned, I think the biggest thing was just offensively. You know, you could see flashes of the talent here and there, but just cohesively, it just, in their two losses especially, turnovers were a big issue and it was just like the offense was just out of sync they had against Oklahoma State they had 24 turnovers in the second half you know Oklahoma State went to his zone, and it, it looked like Marquette had never played against his own defense before in any of the players lifetime they just didn't know what to do and and you know I think that was probably a product of the lack of preparation and in, in the preseason in the summertime just being not familiar with each other's playing styles and I think that's kind of showed up with the turnovers they had the same issue again in their loss to UCLA turnovers and foul trouble. Those are two things that are kind of that kind of crop up when when you're out of rhythm and out of sync. Those are the two biggest things. And 
you see you see the talent, but just the consistency isn't there. That's the biggest thing, and I think that's the that's that lack of practice time. Well, Tom's motto is you, you know it's 2020. You just got to roll with it. You're starting to see teams every time they take the court play a better brand of basketball. I think Seton Hall fans have seen that from their first game to where they finished off against St. John's the last time out. Mm-hmm. But you know what is Marquette learned from this experience dealing with COVID? Because we're seeing programs like DePaul over and over again, end up in pauses. They haven't even taken the court yet. Is there certain things that Marquette has now put in place from a protocol perspective that has kept their team on the court to play the schedule they've played? Yeah, from all they've told me is that they've kept everything pretty tight, you know, like the players just, they all live in the same building. They just go to practice and they do their classes are all online now. So I don't think they have much interaction, you know, with the outside world. I think they just, hang out with each other, you know, 24 seven, they're kind of in their own kind of little isolated bubble. So I have a follow up to that then, Ben, cause there's this whole conversation about uh, the mental wellness of the, uh, the student athlete. Yeah. Now people are saying if they play, they're happy, that's what they want. But then you just described a scenario where they're isolated, they're in one building, they're taking their classes from a distance and that's it. They're in their own little Marquette bubble. How, how is that balance? Is, is that good for their mental psyche? Just playing the games alone? Yeah, you know, I think most players would say, you know, that's what they love to do. They love to play, and that's good for them. But, I mean, we'll see, man. I I think the longer that goes on, like the longer the isolation goes on, I think you might see more just the, the wear and tear mentally on them, uh, especially like around this time, like the holidays, not being able to see your family. I know if they do travel in, in, in past seasons, it's been pretty quick trips at home, but you know, they're not even getting that this year. And plus their families, you know, can't even come to games at all and can't, can't come visit them at the same time. So I think with Marquette, especially like the win, the winning helps like winning two big games that they had against top 10 teams. Yeah, I'm sure you, you love to play then, but what happens, you know, if you lose three or four in a row and, and, you know, people are frustrated with each other and it'll be interesting to see, how the dynamic changes with more time and if any kind of losing streaks or any kind of negative stuff happens, see how that affects. So it'll be interesting to, to, to watch that. That's what I was getting at. You know, your team's now four and 14 in the big East and you got two games to play. Yeah. It just feels like there's a powder keg ready to explode for yeah. guys. This that isn't the Paul. Right? This is, this is Marquette, Mike. You got the, <laughs> you got the, wrong, you got the wrong team. But you, you know, if one thing is th- this has forced the kids to grow up a lot faster, you know, I don't know if when Mike and I were in school, we could have handled something like this. So let's talk about the kids a little bit here. In addition to Marcus Howard's departure, the team lost a lot of valuable contributors like Sakara Nim, Brendan Bailey, Jace Johnson. But this opened the door for plenty of new faces, which include DJ Carton, who's a transfer from Ohio State, who was immediately eligible. Additionally, you guys had a great recruiting class, like we mentioned previously. Dawson Garcia, top 35 kid, McDonald's All-American, 6'11 center, picked to be preseason freshman of the year. You had Justin Lewis, who topped out at 87, and Oso Ikodaro, he just stuck in there at 99. Uh, Additionally, Wojo's got a big 2021 class coming in. Stevie Mitchell's a four-star guy. Jonas Adu, who's a 6'11 center. And Cameron Jones, a three-star guy. So how bright is the future for the Golden Eagles with this young core? Man, I'm telling you, these if you guys haven't seen the the two freshmen for Marquette, they're really good. Like really good. And and you know, DJ Carton's not a freshman, but uh he's 
super talented. He's super quick. You know, Marquette in past years with with Marcus Howard and Andrew Rousey before him, they were, you know, small guards who like to bomb away on three-pointers. DJ's an okay three-point shooter. I think he was close to 40% last year. He kind of struggled this year, the first couple games. But the last game, I think he was five for seven on three-pointers. So, you know, he's getting more comfortable that way. But his best skill is just attacking the basket. He's super quick, left-handed, gets out on the break um can break a defense down which 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 is Marquette hasn't had in recent years uh the two freshmen that play a lot Dawson Garcia the McDonald's All-American he's really skilled he's kind of like a looks a little like Mamu for you guys you know he's left-handed he's 6'11 he can handle the ball shoot it um not not as strong as Mamu yet um I think Dawson is still kind of adjusting to the physicality of the college game you see him kind of get a shot blocked around the basket a few times early in the season. He's not, you know, he's not playing against suburban Minneapolis players anymore, you know? Um, so he's, he's adjusting that way. Uh, but he, he's really good. He's really skilled, good rebounder, really good touch on his shot. He's going to be good. He, he's going to be a good player. Uh, but Justin Lewis has been just, I think the biggest surprise for Marquette this season and the biggest factor in why they've kind of exceeded expectations so far he's from baltimore they listen him at 6 11 but when you see him play the the kid's got this huge like 7 2 wingspan and he's got just huge hands like just mitts for hands so he's that that helps him become like a, a really outstanding rebounder good enough uh, to tip in the game winner again yeah, 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 yeah. you watch that slow-mo you see his huge hands he just gets up there and he just he just flicks it and the coaches, every coach that talks about him on Marquette staff, you know, they say the kids just got a nose for the ball. That's the phrase they use when they talk about him, nose for the ball. And you see it on the offensive boards, man. He'll just, he's just always in the right spot, just grabbing, grabbing the ball. I knew he was a good rebounder because that's why they recruited him. But he's been really good. He's developing as a shooter. He's not quite the shooter that Dawson is, but he's got really nice touch hit a couple threes, but he's really good, really patient on the low post, just with his post moves. He doesn't seem to get rushed. He's never rattled, even in these, you know, these big games that Marquette has played this year. He's hasn't been rattled down the stretch of the close games. Yeah, those get those guys are key. Those those three newcomers are are the, the biggest keys Marquette this season. Well, Coach Wojo is actually very lucky. While these newer players develop and mesh, they're still anchored by three seniors. You got Kobe McEwen, who's leading the yeah. team in scoring. You got Jamal Kane, and you got another guy that Seton Hall fans love to hate, Theo John, <laughs> pulling down eight boards a game. So, is this the right blend of youth and experience for this team to succeed? Yeah, it, it seemed that way so far this year, and I, I think the newcomers' skills mesh with the with the returning players pretty well like dj carton can handle the ball now so kobe McEwen could play off the ball which i think is more of his style like last year he had to play point guard a lot i don't think that's quite his natural skill set but now he can play off the ball so he can attack a little bit you know theo is really good blocking shots just just protecting the rim and getting rebounds but he's He's developed a, a pretty nice offensive game, and and Jamal Kane's just kind of that that energizer guy, that the high leaper can knock down corner threes, but attacks the offensive boards. And yeah, I th- I think the the mix is the mix is right with this team. No uh, no clash from the old guard versus the new guard in any way. Doesn't feel that that doesn't feel that way at all. 
All right. Well, speaking of things that feel different, you talked about this before. In past years, the makeup of this roster, it just really wasn't designed to slow down the opposition, but rather more outscore them. Uh, and there was a concern coming into the season that the team might continue to struggle uh, you know, in the same facet on the defensive side of the ball. But in its first seven games, it only allowed two opponents to reach 70 or better. Oklahoma State hit that mark exactly. And then you had the shootout the other night against Creighton, which is kind of well expected to give up uh, more than 70 to a Creighton team yeah. in their own building. So is there a cultural change defensively with this group, or was it just a byproduct of the early season competition? Uh, I think it's mostly has to do with the infusion of more length in the lineup. Like we mentioned, Marcus, he was not a good defender his sophomore year. I think that's fair to say. But he got better as the as the years went on. He was a he was a passable defender his senior season, but he was just he's small, man. He's five eleven. So you replace Marcus with, you know, a six two DJ Carden who's really quick. And then you got, you know, the the freshman that we talked about, Justin Lewis with his long wingspan, Dawson Garcia six eleven. And all those guys are 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 physical and get after the ball and seem to be more committed to uh, on the defensive end. So more length and more commitment. I knew that they would be better defensively, but I didn't think they would be this good. And they're, they're a really good rebounding team, offensively and defensively. So right. that's that's been a really big surprise. So, so let's talk more about this early season competition, right? Yeah, outside of the few tune-ups, I think Morris Kett has done a really good job to challenge themselves with some of the games against Oklahoma State, currently undefeated at 6-0, and UCLA standing at 5-1, and and then obviously the Wisconsin game. How far did that thrilling win at the buzzer over number four Wisconsin go towards boosting the confidence of this team? Yeah, I think that they were coming off that loss to Oklahoma State that I mentioned where they, they just looked terrible in the second half, just had no answers for Oklahoma State zone. So you know how it is after losses. The fan base gets all, all angsty and like, oh, man, we're going to go through this again. We can't we can't do anything right. But then they come out the next game and like they were really, really sound. They took care of the ball against Wisconsin defensively they stopped a really veteran laden wisconsin team i think that kind of snapped into to focus for them just what their potential actually is we don't know anything about being angsty after losses <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about but the team had to be psyched after monday's night thrilling and impressive performance against number nine creighton i mean the team rallied back from an early 12 point deficit dj yeah. carton showed everything he had a career high 20 points Five players ended in double figures, and there were a plus 14 on the glass for the game. And more impressively, they stopped Marcus Zagorowski, who's the preseason <laughs> player of the year for the Big East, and they held them to only eight points. Was that as complete performance as you're going to see from this team, or are they going to take it to the next level? Uh, well, that's, that's their most complete performance so far this season, for sure. I still think that might be maybe as good as they can play offensively in the second half, if you just look at the second half numbers, I mean, they shot like seven of nine on threes in the second half. They shot like 55% uh, in the second half. So I don't know if, if that's th those kind of numbers are sustainable, um, but but the potential to be that complete kind of team is there. And it, it, it's going to be interesting to get, see against Seton Hall, like if they if they come out more confident or if there's going to be a little hangover from this victory. I'll be I'll be interested in watching that. All right, so let's do that. Let's transition into the Seton Hall matchup. 
Seton Hall also is coming off maybe not as impressive of a victory relative to the competition, but they handled their business pretty well against St. John's in that first Big East outing, and they have plenty of rest now since their Tuesday game against Xavier was also canceled, excuse me, postponed Mm -hmm. due to the COVID pause that Xavier is going through. Is it too early in the season to say that the bye week for Seton Hall, that extra rest is going to play that much of an advantage in this upcoming matchup? Yeah, I I don't know if... uh... I don't know if I buy into that. Kevin Willard buys into it. He's like, we needed, <laughs> we needed a break. He's like, we needed a break. I'm not playing anybody else. And we're like, Kevin, you can't. We're in the biggest play right now. You this can't is the game. first time Kevin hasn't complained about a schedule. Are you yeah. kidding me? But I guess you guys did have that pretty crazy non-conference schedule, right? Played like in four different states. And what was that, like was six four, games in 10 days? Four six days. So. Yeah. In four different locations. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. But yeah, I, I, you know, we're in, we're in the biggie schedule now, man. It's just you got to play now, unless you know COVID, of course. But I don't know if that benefits or benefits the rest or Marquette playing on on Monday helps them out. I, I don't know. I don't. I, I think it's too early to tell for that. All right. Well, speaking of advantages, disadvantages, right now the real advantage that everybody is talking about early in the season is the performance and versatility of Sandro Mamukelishvili. Mm-hmm. And I am interested really in seeing his matchup against Dawson Garcia to see kind of how his experience plays against the youth. As you mentioned, they are both talented, similar skill sets. What are your thoughts on how that matchup might play itself out? Yeah, I was, I was thinking about that. I, I think, like I mentioned, Dawson's kind of struggled with the physicality of the college game sometimes this season. So I... I really think that Justin Lewis off the bench might be a better option to guard guard Mamu just because Justin Lewis is a little bit little bit stronger, has a little bit stronger base. The wingspan that I mentioned, I think he's quick enough to to handle Mamu out when he when he's out behind the three point line. So, but I think Dawson will get the first crack at him for sure. You remember that game at Marquette last season? Mamu kind of kind of bullied his way past uh, the skinny Marquette forwards last year. So. I don't know. I think I think Justin Lewis might be might be Marquette's best defensive option there. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Well, that game was on national televised Fox, and I thought that was Sandro's true national kind of coming yeah. out party. We knew about him in the Big East, mm. but when you got to see him on a national stage, then he goes to the draft, then he's coming back. I don't think people knew about his level or ceiling prior to that game against you guys last year. He basically put it all together. And, yeah. and what he shot from distance, he was on the mm-hmm. dribble, he was switching hands, he did a little bit of everything in that game. Yeah, yeah, he was awesome. Man. Like he was like in that St. John's game, that he was he was just awesome, man. I he looked like a first round pick to me in that game. <laughs> oh, I'm glad first round next year, not last year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, we've talked about a lot of players on Marquette. Are there any other matchups or trends that fans should keep their eye on in this game that might tip the scales one way or another? Yeah, we'll see. Uh, you know, Marquette only played seven guys against Creighton on Monday. Coach Wojo's kind of, he was kind of playing a lot of guys early in the year, but he kind of tightened up his rotation for that. Now, backup point guard, Samir Torrance, he, he's missed the last two games. He had a toe injury. So I don't know if he's going to be back for, for Seton Hall or not, and that factors into to why he tightened the rotation. But Marquette's got, got really good play off the bench from Greg Elliott. Uh, he's finally healthy. He's battled injuries like his whole his whole time at Marquette. So I'll be interested to see if he can can put together back-to-back good games. Yeah, just just seeing how, how those rotations play out. All right, Ben, new segment. You're going to be the first one to kick this off for us on Behind oh. Enemy Lines. <laughs> you, got, you got to give us your two or three keys to victory for Marquette. 
So that Seton Hall fans keep an eye on that potentially throughout the game. Defending Mamu, like we talked about, I think that's number one. And limiting turnovers, which, like I mentioned, in, the, in Marquette's two losses, that, that's been the glaring weakness, the common theme in both of those. And how Marquette shoot from three-point land. I don't think they're going to shoot it as well as they did against Creighton, but they definitely have that potential to. And that's one way that they can kind of get, get their offense on track. Okay, Ben, you know what happens here. We're going to put you on the spot. Are they going to be dancing the polka in Milwaukee or is South Orange going to be happy? Who wins this game? Yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to go with Marquette on this one. After watching them on Monday night, man, they looked they looked much better than I thought they would be at this point in the season. So maybe that's a recency bias for me, but I, I, I think I'm going to pick Marquette in this one. Not going to lie, I'm rooting for an 0 for 2 in Ben Steele prediction <laughs> on Left Coast Pirates Live. That's like my career shooting percentage, 0 for 2, right there. <laughs> my high school career. Well, Ben, we can't thank you enough for coming back here. You're always welcome. Best of health to your family. Yeah, you guys too, man. It's always good chatting with you guys, talking hoops. Uh, I'm sure we'll do it again sometime in the near future. Absolutely. Thank you again, Ben. Ben Steele, everybody. All right, Mike, we heard what Ben Steele had to say. What do you say? You going to put on your big boy pants and actually give us a prediction this time? Or are you going to be like, oh, I don't know? So I, I really wanted to sit down the other night and watch that Marquette Creighton game start to finish. And, and I didn't get a chance to do so. So, I mean, I, I'm, I can't give you all the nitty gritty of what I should have taken out of that game leading into the matchup against Seton Hall, but damn Tom, from the moments that I saw that game, as I was able to kind of step away from doing some work and flip back and forth from that uh, Browns Ravens game, which was a, oh, that a was hell a, of a, that was hell fire. of a football game, man. That was a good game. Oh, um, point being though, great finish, uh, great competitive game back and forth. You know, they rallied down by 12 uh, Marquette makes their run. You got Creighton that answers back. They could have folded. There, there was a point late in that game where they got the lead cut down to one, if I'm not mistaken, and then they turned it on. They hit a three. They got to the rim. They made steals on defense. They were really composed. I, it's, it's a recency bias. I totally understand what Ben's saying, but what they did in that game, they got contributions from everybody up and down that roster in the seven guys that got playing time. They look good. But they're young though, right? So he said it, what you get from a young player early in their career from one night to the next, maybe Seton Hall catches them on one of those downswings. I don't know. Mike, at the podcast, I said that Seton Hall was going to lose this game and this was before the Creighton matchup. But I'm going to tell you this. Yes, they're young. Yes, they can go up and down, but they bring effort and their bigs bored the hell out of it. You got Dawson Garcia averaging five and a half rebounds. You got Jamal Kane bringing in almost seven. You got Theo John grabbing over eight. Justin Lewis gets six and a half. They're going to crash that glass and they're going to be at home. And that's going to be a tough road for Seton Hall. I'm surprised you didn't call me out. I still haven't given you a prediction yet. <laughs> I, I I don't know. It just doesn't feel right. I, I feel like all the travel might catch up with them a little bit, even though they had some time off to rest this week, uh, you know, kind of get reacclimated back into the schedule. I'm, I'm going to say that Marquette rides the wave of emotion and continues their positive play because the young guys don't know any better. And I think Seton Hall is going to come out a little bit short on this one. I think it's going to be a heck of a game regardless, but when Thursday night comes around, Mike, what are we going to be saying? Go Pirates. Go Big Blue. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Left Coast Pirates. 
Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other of your favorite listening platforms. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at Pirates. We are also proud members of the What You Expect Network of Podcasts. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. We'll be right back.